0: This week on the Southgate Student Ministry Podcast, we continue our study in 1 John. This week we're in 1 John chapter 4, and we go through and we examine how other people know that we're Christians with the idea of simply confessing Christ in our daily life and what that looks like. So stick around and join us as we go on our journey of exploring 1 John chapter 4. So here we are, the late 1840s. There was an event taking place in America that was going to, in a way, um, in in a way greater than, than most people would realize at the time, change the country forever. Because somebody in the San Francisco area discovered gold. They discovered gold in the San Francisco Bay Area. When word got back east that in San Francisco, gold had been discovered, and at this time, uh, there were less than a thousand people living in San Francisco. When word got back east that there was gold out west, the rush out west to find gold went absolutely crazy. Those who were living on the east coast began to charge westward um, with the entire goal of gathering gold. And that year alone, In 1849, the city of San Francisco went from around 1,000 residents to over 100,000 people. That's a 100,000 person increase in a single year. That's insane. All for the gold. See, but the thing is that that wasn't the amount of people going out west because what would happen is a lot of people would get stuck on the way. So what ended up happening was on the way, people would get trapped in other states but they would say, hey, we can find gold here too. So you saw all over the Midwest United States, gold mining operations arrive. You go out to Colorado and, and there's gold mine uh, tours left and right. All these states west of the Mississippi became gold mining states. The gold rush is one of the most influencing times in America's history. Why? Because it led to people moving west. Like I said, over 100,000 people took off and and went straight west. This was going to be the, the exploration of the west coast. This was going to change the country forever. But the reason they did was to go find gold and have wealth for life. Many of them though on their quest for gold uh, had something strange happen to them. Uh, They would bring home, they would be in the mines, mining all day or discovering a new plot of land and they would arrive and show up and they would walk into their house and they would have their pile of gold that they had discovered that day and they would announce to their family that they were rich and crazy and then it was awesome. But the thing is that many people and that time we're not finding real gold but they were finding fool's gold. It's a material that when you picked it up, if you originally found it and and you had never really been around a lot of gold before, you would pick it up and immediately think, "Hey, I found gold. It's 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 heavier, it's it's shiny, it has a gold color to it. Everything about it when you to the untrained eye and you pick it up is like, "This is gold. This is awesome. This is going to be worth a lot. This is going to be my fortune." But the thing is, is that whenever a trained eye would look at it, or you ran any type of test at all on it, it was obviously not real gold. Uh, the value of this gold doesn't compare at all to um, to what like real gold is. As a matter of fact, like what it was main purpose was like after they would started discovering this in other places was they would use it for like gravel on streets. Like it was, it was worthless. It was this just. Normal rock that was so common, you would spread it over streets um, to, to use it uh, as a paving. Uh, where gold is heavily valuable. I don't think I need to tell you that. But when you found gold, you were rich. And when you dug deeper into the gold, you would find that, in fact, you did have actual gold. With fool's gold, the second you dug deeper, you would realize that you didn't have gold. And what John is about to do... In 1 John 4, go ahead and be turning there, um, if you're not already there. Uh, in First John 4, is he's about to describe what, with people, looks like a difference in fool's gold and real gold. And he's going to go into an explanation of this, um, and we're going to explore it for just a moment. I don't know, does anyone need a Bible as I'm standing here? A few of you? Alright, no. From overall, oh. there we go. There we go. Sweet. Alright, here we go. So sorry. Good. There we go. There we go. Oh right. Yes. Sweet. Alright. Perfect. Um, I'll open up to first John chapter four. Um we're gonna start out reading. And verse one, uh, right now it says, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are uh, they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world." So I want us to stop there for just a minute. Uh, notice there's a huge jump that take, this takes place. If you were here last time when we studied this, the jump from what was previously being talked about by John to this is is like. Vastly different. It goes from loving one another, this idea of love people, to this idea of, hey, testing the spirits. Don't believe every spirit that comes your way. This is a, um, this is a almost different idea for us. But what they were facing at this time, what the, the, the issue that they were facing, to them would have been obvious as they were reading this. Because there were a lot of people in the world at that time who would sit there and and say they were Christians, say they were all great, uh, say they were all powerful. There would be a lot of people who would present powers that seemed excellent, that seemed mighty, but in reality they weren't Christians at all. They were just these false teachers. This is what John is saying to them. Hey, don't sit there and, and let anything go. And he starts out with the idea of testing the spirits. Um, the Greek word that's used here for spirit, now I'm not going to like tell you the Greek word, but what it means in the Greek is, is literally this idea of a, be, the being of somebody. So like the breath uh, that they have, their, the air inside of them, their personality, who they are. When it talks about the spirit in this moment, this is what it's referencing. It's talking about just who, not the physical body, but, but the being of who somebody is, um, the life that they live. In a moment, it's going to talk about the spirit of God. It's it's once again referencing the idea of the being of God, who he is, the personality traits that he has. But John starts out this passage by saying, Be weary of all the spirits. Be weary of every being around you that claims to be a Christian. And the reason that John was sitting here warning against all the other spirits and, and I know this is like, okay, some some details in history, but in this time period, what was the really big thing, along with idol worshiping, which was uh, a little bit crazy in the city of Ephesus. But in Asia Minor and Ephesus, the big hobby, the big thing, like the thing that people were into at the time were magicians and like like mysticism. So magic and mysticism was rampant. It was just a thing that people did. Everyone was totally into magic and, and all those things, and it was super easy at this time. I don't know if you've ever seen a magician that is that is super believable. There was a guy that won America's Got Talent two years ago named Shen Lim. Like, that guy, I'm confident that he does actual magic because he just makes cards disappear from his hands. Like, how is he doing that? Um, but like, for the people at this time who, who have no idea how this is taking place, to them it's like, this is real. Um, and, it, and it just so happens, and you guys would probably agree with this, uh, when you grow up with something, it's normal. And so the people in Ephesus are sitting here. They're growing up with these magicians doing these crazy things and, and seeming powerful. And people look at these people and they say, they have real power right here. These people can, can truly make things disappear. They can, they can truly do all these crazy things that are taking place. And for them, these people in Ephesus and Asia Minor that John is writing to in this moment, they're sitting here hearing this idea of test the spirits test all the beings who do crazy powerful stuff and it becomes like okay so we need to test those people we need to test all the christians and all those type of things but for them they were so used to these magicians and mysticists now think about this when we're used to something we don't blink our eyes at it for example electric lights i know this is a super basic example you walk in this room, if I sit here and, and flip the light off and then flip it back on, like it's like whatever. You turn the lights on and off. I want you to imagine for a minute, you go back to 1776, you grab your great, 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 great grandparent and you bring them um, here right now and we turn the lights on and off and then we go outside and we get in a car and we're driving past the airport and a large metal plane flies overhead They're going to be freaked out because they're not used to it. It's something abnormal. For us, it's just like whatever. we're getting in a car, we're turning on and off the lights, we see an airplane flying. People who didn't live when those things were normal would freak out by it. Well, people in Ephesus would look at these magicians and and mysticists just like we would look at an electric light. It was just something that was there. It was a casual thing that was constantly taking place. And so what's happening is these magicians are doing all these things at this time that seem to be as powerful as what the Christians are doing. When Christians would cast out demons in the name of Christ, uh, a magician could do something that appeared to be just as powerful. And so for Christians in this moment, this is a challenging thing. And, and for us to sit here and say, what can we take from verse 1 of 1 John chapter 4, it's kind of tough because our reaction would be, well, there's not a bunch of magicians or crazy spirits that we're going to believe anymore. That's not something that we're going to do. But I want to ask us right now, who are the people that we are faced with that would be the ones who are full of magic and mysticism? ones that we're going to be faced with that are full of magic and mysticism and I'm not saying who are the who are the magicians in our world like like oh we should be threatened by magicians I'm saying who are the people who are going to walk the halls of your schools who are going to be around you every day that what they do appears to be just as influential or as powerful as something a Christian could do who are the people in our world that we are so comfortable with that it's like turning a light on and off, just like the people in Ephesus of that time would have been with magicians? Who are the people that we're so comfortable with in our world that they have a spirit that could actually be an opposition to us? Who are those people you spend time with that, that live a life where they have a view on life that doesn't reflect the Word of God, but they expect you to be right there with them. Who are those people that, that will say, hey, I have this thought on social issues, and if you're not agreeing with me, you're an idiot and you're a jerk. Who are the people who, who will try to tell you that like cheating on a test is okay and that it's not a big deal? Who are the people that will speak, speak harshly to someone, treat them like trash, and be like, hey, if you're doing this together, like this person gets treated like this, they're okay with it, it's totally fine, there's nothing wrong with it. Who are these people in your life? And of course, we can make that list go on and on and on. We can sit there and go through it all and identify these people that are in our lives that lead us the wrong directions, that are, are these other spirits that we're so comfortable with, that we're so used to, that are such a part of our life that it's casual. And John would call these people false prophets. People who are, who are claiming to make the right choices. People who claim that their way is the best way. People who will, who will claim Christianity maybe, but their actions and their words are speaking something totally different. And yet they'll convince us or prod us into understanding and believing that what they're saying is all right. That what they're saying is the spirit that we should be listening to. You, or listening to. I want us to keep reading, verse two. By this you know that the spirit, and by this you know the spirit of God. Uh, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist, which you heard was coming and is in the world already. All right, so it goes on and discusses these different spirits, and then it goes on to follow this up. And he's coming off all this idea of talking about false prophets. And he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to identify the easiest way to tell if somebody's a false prophet or if they are a servant of Christ. And he says, do people confle- confess that Jesus was here in the flesh? Or do people say, uh, not say that Jesus is from God? This is the mission that he sits here and says, this is how you're going to tell. Do people confess or do they not? And it brings up this idea of if they're not going to say that Jesus was here, then remember a couple paragraphs ago when he talked about the Antichrist? Yeah, that's who these people are. They are the Antichrist. And it made me think as I was sitting here reading this, because as I was going through this and, and uh, reading through it and trying to think, like, where can we apply this to ourselves? It almost hit me... Um, Hit me! I was trying to think of a cool metaphor. I was like sledgehammer in the head, and I was like, "What on earth?" Um, but it, it hit me like like a train going down the track. There we go. There's something. Um, and I was a little bit taken back because what it says here is, "How do you identify the, the spirits who are Christians? How do you identify the people who follow God? It's those who confessed Jesus Christ came in the flesh." And it made me wonder how often do we confess that Jesus came in the flesh? How often do we confess Christ in general in our lives? Because sure we believe it. It's something that we might look at in our lives and be like, yes, we believe that Jesus exists. And and, and we may have looked back at our baptism and be like, Yeah, when I was baptized, I said it in front of everybody, and like that was a big deal. But when our reality in our lives How often do we confess that Jesus is our Savior and that he came here and that we live our lives in a way that sits here and says, yes, I have a God. Yes, he's powerful. Yes, he came to earth in the form of Jesus and lived here and was on this earth and then now he's back in heaven. How often do we live a life that says that, verse 4 through 6, says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of air. So why is it important for us to confess that Jesus is here and he's everything to us and that he's important. He says, if you don't confess that, people aren't going to know that you're from God. And I asked the question once and I'm not done asking it. How often do we confess that Jesus is here and that he's everything and that he's important? When's the last time, and I, I've seen some of you doing this, so, so it's not like I don't feel like I'm sitting here calling you out, but, but seriously listen to some of these things and, and think through other things. When's the last time you posted something spiritual on your Instagram or any social media that you use that's not like a joke or posted uh, something about a spiritual thing or an event that you went to where you're not sitting there laughing about it? When's the last time you had a serious conversation with someone at school about, Christianity or Jesus and who he is and and your goal is something like having a deeper conversation like talking about clapping in worship or instruments in worship or or something that's an issue like that um, because like really Christianity is a little bit more than those issues yet for some reason our spiritual conversations want to revolve around that when was the last time we were sitting at a lunch table with your friends and as you go to dig in you stop and say wait Let's say a prayer for our food. That's what Jesus did when he was on earth. When's the last time that you talk to people and you're like, yes, I'm so pumped I get to go to church tonight. I'm just jacked up. Like, I get to go to church this Sunday and I'm pumped. Let's go. When's the last time you truly were able to say, yes, when I was singing in that time, I sang with everything I had. When's the last time... You simply said, I believe in Jesus Christ, even if it's just to yourself, when you wake up in the morning. How often do we confess to the world around us that we believe in Jesus? I want us to do something right now. Um, and it's not probably not normal, it might be normal, um, I don't think it is. I want every single person who is a baptized Christian in this room, by the end of tomorrow, or anyone in this room, but by the end of tomorrow, to have confessed Jesus to the people around you. Whether it's an Instagram post that is something about how great your God is, or saying a prayer with your friends before lunch, or planning to have a conversation with a friend, whatever it is, the next 24 hours, so by 7.16 tomorrow night, doing something that confesses Christ to others. People need to know that we are of God. And according to First John chapter 4, the way that people can know that we're of Christ, if they do what this says and they're testing the spirits, the way that they can know that we're of Christ is when we confess Christ, when we go through our lives and we confess that he is our savior. Over the next 24 hours, are you going to do what you wrote down on that card so people can know that you are of Christ? I want us to continue on um, in this passage, because what he's going to do is take a very like brisk turn. He was going into, uh, from love one another, he has this like brief pause of test the spirits, which is an awesome little section of scripture. We could have done a full class on that and spent more time on it. Uh, and then he gets to this last, um, like, 7 through 21. And what I want us to do is, is we're going to read 7 through 21. And I know a lot of people are like, like, man, reading scriptures just distracts me. I think it's important that we read this. So let's read... Uh, chapter four, starting in verse seven. Uh, we'll go kind of quickly on it, uh, but I think there's some really awesome stuff in here, and then we're going to pull some stuff out of it that I think is really neat. It says, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God, and whoever and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this. That we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he is in and he in God. That's really awesome, based on what you just wrote down. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God also abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, that we might have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so, uh, also we are in this world. There, oh, sorry, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been, per- been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whomever loves God must also love his brother. I want us to pull a few things. Oh, no. That's a bummer. Um, I want us to pull a few things out of here. Uh... Tonight, that I think um, is just beautiful. I have three things that I think like really popped to me uh, from the from this passage. I hope you really grasped it while uh, we were reading it. Number one is we must love. Now I know you're sitting here right now, and 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 you're probably thinking like that's the most basic thing. We talked about it last time, we're talking about it again today. Like the thing is, is like, okay, yes, we're gonna love people. That is the most basic thing that's ever talked about. Yet I think that the thing that we can struggle with the most is loving others. Yet when we look at the teaching of Jesus, when we look at the teaching of this passage, when we look at the teaching of everything in Scripture, the thing that is talked about most is loving others. Verse 8. Says, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And so if we sit here and we let this be tuned out of our brain, because we've seen it so many times, this idea of we must love, then we're almost taking away the biggest thing that that is mentioned in Scripture that God is love. And then if we sit here and we ignore this and we're like, man, like, I get it, love people, whatever, been there, heard that, that's fine. And we're missing the whole point of who God is. This idea of we must love doesn't even make sense. It will never make sense. Every time you hear it, it doesn't make sense. I don't know about you, but whenever I think about the idea of loving your enemies, it blows me away. I don't know if you've ever been in an altercation uh, of words or on social media or anything like that, and all you want to do is strike back out at a person because they're driving you crazy. But how much love does it take to walk away? And how easy is it for us to say that love is an emotion and ignore the fact that love is a verb? Have you decided that love is going to be a verb for you? And then it goes into the next big point that I think um, is also simple, but also one of the most magnificent things ever written. Love He gave us an example of what love should look like. He sits here and he writes this out and gives us this ultimate picture and and tosses us back to his first writing, his first gospel, where he sits here and says, oh, by the way, remember when I wrote about Jesus dying on the cross, the Son of God coming to this earth and going to a cross and dying a brutal death. He points out that the cross is where love was made manifest. Verse 9 says, in this the love of God was made manifest Among us, manifest uh, means, like literally means, when you look at the definition, to display or show by action. So we want to sit here and know what love looks like. We want to sit here and say, all right, John, when you tell me to love people, what do you want want me to do? What's the point of it? And he said, let me tell you this. You want to know what love looks like? You want to know what love really should look like in your life? It's going to look a lot like what Jesus did. Someone who didn't deserve to die at all came to earth, uh, someone who deserved the greatest life and came to suffer and was tortured in the entire process of it all. And this is, by the way, if you want to love, if you want to love like I'm telling you to love, where you're walking in the light, like I've already mentioned, you want this to be a part of your life. You want this to be the powerful thing in your life that when people look at you, they sit there and say that person loves what you have to do is get rid of every single personal desire you have in order to love people. We wanna love like we are commanded to love here. Looks like total selflessness. It looks like giving yourself Uh, It looks like talking to people you don't necessarily like. It looks like talking to that person who walks into this classroom and you're like, I don't know that person and it's going to be awkward, but I'm going to go spend time with them. It looks like spending your money on somebody else, even though you worked for it or even though your parents gave it to you. It looks like giving up a life that is full of happiness, not necessarily happiness, but looks like full of all these joyful things. Just like Jesus gave up his life in heaven in order to come here and be suffering and suffer. It looks like us giving up our, what seems like awesome, joyful, pleasurable life to suffer. He says, You want to know what loving looks like? Jesus made manifest, he suffered, he put himself last. You want to do that, Put yourself last. And because of time, we're not going to be able to get into it. The other thing I see in here that stands out to me is because of love, we have no fear. Verse 18 says, there's no fear in love. but perfect love casts out fear. We're sitting in this room right now, and you're like, I'm nervous for judgment day. I'm nervous for the day when Jesus comes back. We're not able to comprehend the love that Christ has to us, for us. Take hold of that love that God has given to you and love others with it, and we will be perfected in love. Are we fool's gold or are we real gold? Who are we? Are we a person who, if we're walking through our lives and we say, Yes, I'm a Christian, But the second somebody puts us under any test whatsoever, we show clearly that deep down we're not. Are we somebody that when you put us through rigorous testing, no matter how much you you slam us against things or or scratch us up or, or break us into pieces, are we going to shine like gold all the way through? Are you a facade or are you real? Which one? you choosing. We love others unconditionally. We choose to be real. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Be sure to join us next week as we wrap up the book in 1 John chapter 5. Go ahead and give it a read before you listen or, or just enjoy the show. Thank you so much. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you get notified every time we post a new podcast. Have a blessed day.